there. As usual, it's such a privilege to be sharing with you the Word of God concerning our identities being reformed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Word of your power. We thank you for the power of your Word. I thank you, Lord, for this privilege, Lord God. And I pray, God, that this message really strikes a chord in people's hearts. I pray, Lord, that we'll be transformed from the inside out. So come and help us, Holy Spirit, your teacher. Come and equip us this morning as we minister to you and to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, I've, I've really been enjoying doing this series and I'm really hoping that it's impacting families out there. I believe that one of the challenges we face as believers is that a lot of us don't know how to do Christianity. You see, you can be a spiritual looking person, you can attend prayer meetings, you can even read your Bible, but it's so important to be a doer of the word. And very often it's difficult for us to be doers of the word in practical aspects of our lives because we haven't seen it being modeled. We haven't seen it being modeled. And I'm really hoping that in this part of the series, as we talk about what every child needs, I'm really hoping that people see a blueprint of family life. Okay, uh, we need to know what a dysfunctional family looks like and what a functional family uh, looks like because not everyone had that being modeled for them. So that's very important. Um, so today we're going to be looking at the last three, the last three dimensions of a functional, functional family. And I want to say to you, this is best practice. If you go to any social worker, if you go to any counseling psychologist, if you go to these uh, these people and you say to them, what does a functional family look like? And what does a uh, dysfunctional family look like? They will agree with me on these 10 aspects. But what I've gone ahead and done is looked into the word of God to see some of these theories being confirmed in the word because that's our standard. And so today I'm going to be unpacking for you uh, the last three. So number eight, we're looking at recreation. Recreation. If you think to yourself, what does every family need? What does every child need? Every child needs recreation. Recreation. And when I talk about recreation here, I'm essentially talking about having fun. Okay. Um, now, some of you think to yourself, having fun? Pleasure? You know, some people struggle with what's called hedonophobia. Okay. That it's the fear of feeling pleasure. Now, if you look in Scripture, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, it says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. So don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So God wants you to enjoy life. God wants you to enjoy life. And if you go to a family and there's no laughter there, I'm telling you right now, that's uh, an indication of the fact that there's something wrong in that household because God has given us laughter. These are gifts from the Lord. He wants you to enjoy life. If you just look outside right now, you will see trees, you will see grass, uh, you will hear birds singing. God has made this world beautiful and he wants us to enjoy its beauty. So let's go a bit deeper into this. So you can have fun. 
I know some of the kids watching this are, are like, yes, you see, mom, you see, dad, the pastor has said it. We can have fun. Yes, you can have fun. You can be a child. You can laugh freely. You don't have to take yourself too seriously all the time. You know, there's some people who take themselves too seriously. Now, here's the thing that a lot of people don't know, but often playing together is actually a tool for emotional bonding and vulnerability. This is true of a couple, a married couple, yes, and this is also true between parents and children. When you play together, it's often a source of learning for the children. It's also a source of opening up. Okay, you'll find that especially with boys, they'll tend to open up more easily while you're doing an activity with them. Okay, so when you don't play together as a family, when children grow up not being able to express themselves uh, freely, what tends to happen is it affects them later on when it comes to emotional connection, it affects them later on in life when it comes to vulnerability. So in many families, authority can bring about the feeling that one cannot express themselves by being humorous or telling jokes. How many of you grew up in families where you could laugh and joke with your parents? Okay, I'm not talking about rude joking. I'm not talking about disrespectful joking. Okay, I'm talking about a sense of humor and using your sense of humor to build up people, not to tear them down. How many of you came from those types of families? We grew when we grew up. We didn't typically joke around with my dad um, unless he'd say to us, um, "Hey kids, can you tell me a joke?" And then we'll have to think up certain jokes, and then we crack the joke, and then he has a laugh. All right. Uh, so families were different in terms of this. I remember a friend of mine sharing with me how he had this uh, friend of his who was very serious all the time, couldn't laugh, uh, didn't have much of a sense of humor. And then one day he went for a sleepover, he spent the weekend at this friend's house and he noticed something interesting. He noticed that the parents were like that too. He found it strange. It was almost like, um, you know, at boarding school when they have those rules, like they silence while you're eating, like you can't talk. He said it was like that at this guy's house. He says his brother was like that, his parents were like that. It was just silence. And this friend of mine who likes laughing and joking around, he found it very strange. So children learn these things. They learn these things from parents. And so when I talk about recreation uh, today, I don't want us to just emphasize the kids being recreational or the kids playing. But we took, we're talking about an entire family unit, an entire family culture. Because if parents are workaholics, when children try to have fun, they end up feeling guilty every time they're trying to have fun. You know that environment, right? You're trying to have fun, you're trying to have a blast, but because someone else is always working and looking down at your leisure or whatever choice of leisure you have, right? You end up feeling a bit like, oh, this is not the damn thing. God doesn't like this. My parents only like me when I'm working, 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 right? We need to think through these things because they impact us as we get older. So <clears throat> I've seen certain people who uh, grew up in a certain way. They're told children must be seen, not heard. You can't have fun at home. There's no recreation. And you see it being transferred into the world of work. These are the kind of people who say, you know what? Home is home. Work is work. I'm professional. Right? And when they're at work, they're 
too serious. They've got that serious look on their face and people can't connect with them. And I keep saying to people, you know what? You need to push up your sunshine yellow even at work. You need to push up that bubbly side because you need it in terms of connecting with people, connecting with people from that other team, uh, building your network. You need that. You can't always have that seriousness in how you relate to people. People don't want to relate to robots. They want to relate to other human beings. And children learn these things as they're growing up. This is so, so important, okay? So people who haven't grown up in a relaxed environment, they end up feeling uncomfortable just connecting with the CEO, connecting with an MD or any other authority figure, okay? Everyone else is laughing and joking uh, at that outing or at that team event in the workplace. But there you are. You just, you don't know how to joke with the CEO. You don't know how to say anything funny, okay? You're too serious. Now, it's important not to reject the people who are trying to mentor you because you've been rejected in the past. It's important to have that connection, you see, now as an adult where you can relate to authority figures as opposed to, I, I never was close to authority. I never was intimate with authority. So uh, relaxation right, and uh, recreation is so crucial, it's so important. You don't want to be that, that spouse who's always waiting for their hubby to come home. You know that person who's always waiting for their wife to come home because they don't have a social life themselves, right? You ask them, hey, so what are you doing? Um, uh, we'll see, we'll see when, when she comes home. We'll see when he comes home. You need to have a plan with regards to that. And obviously what's best is when you've got recreational companionship as a couple where you can do certain things together. And uh, sometimes you have to really plan these things, by the way, right? Uh, the unprepared person will always be at the mercy of the prepared person. If you don't have a plan for recreation as a family, you'll always be on someone else's schedule. And you will always end up doing things that you didn't really want to do in the first place, okay? Um, are you creating an atmosphere of rest around you? Or are you always high octane about everything? You know those people where everything is always on 100%, right? <laughs> everything is always on 100%. Everything is always pressure, 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 and there's no rest. Those of you who are naturally very diligent, those of you who are naturally very hardworking, those of you who are naturally very productive, it's so important to be able to block out time where you can just chill. I often have to discipline myself to do this. And when I do it, it sets the tone for my family. When I'm not doing it, I can see that uh, my wife, my kids, everyone else around me can almost feel guilty about any form of leisure, any form of recreation. So how you are tends to pass on to your children. How you are tends to pass on to your children. You know, it's sad that in families today, uh, recreation or leisure or any form of pleasure is part of a reward system or has to always be part of a reward system. You know, you can't just have fun because people need to rest and have fun. There's this mindset of I can only do this because I'm rewarding myself for that hard work. You know, I can only do this because uh, I've worked so, so hard. And you see people always explaining themselves. You know, they decide to go and take a walk. They decide to go for a picnic. But they're always explaining themselves and justifying any form of leisure. That's not healthy. And children, children need to learn how to play. Children need to learn how to play. One of the saddest things is that when it comes to outdoors, the outdoors, 
Um, nowadays, you literally have to facilitate that for children. They don't naturally go out. You know, when we used, when we grew up, right, when we were growing up, you know, you want to go out and play and so on. Nowadays, a lot of kids are being raised in very uh, sedentary, sedentary lifestyles where they're not active and there might be sunlight outside. It's a lovely day and you have to remind children, hey guys, go out and play. Research has actually found that children end up being smarter, right? It helps them mentally when they do outdoor recreational activities and we need to encourage this just go and google it and you'll see a, a lot of uh, pages that will say 100 outdoor activities that you can do it's so so important and <clears throat> it's part of being spiritual you're actually appreciating god's creation aren't you so how you are tends to pass on to your children. If you're a workaholic, your children can easily feel guilty when they're having fun. So what were things like when you were growing up and how did this impact your view of recreation? How did this impact your view of recreation? I know some people who will literally lie to their extended family when they're going on holiday because there's guilt around it. Oh, they'll think we're wasting money. They'll think that we're being stingy or we're being selfish. How many of you feel guilty when you experience pleasure? How many of you feel guilty when you go on holiday? You shouldn't. You shouldn't. God has blessed you to, re to richly enjoy life. And... Um, Holidays can end up being relatively cheap when you plan them way in advance. I think many of us know that, right? Um, they become more expensive when it's last minute. So I want to encourage you at the start of the year to plan your holidays. Plan them in advance. Pay for them in advance so that they are much cheaper and they're not seen as a luxury thing. But they're seen, seen as a necessity of life. Very, very important. Okay, so the Bible actually shows that rest can be a family culture. It's not limited to just a few people in the family. If you look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 10, it says, Remember the Sabbath day. Now, I'm not going to be preaching about the Sabbath from a spiritual perspective. I'm literally just talking about it practically. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. In other words, plan it like that. Plan it so that you fit everything into those six days. Okay? For some people, maybe it's four. <laughs> okay? But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. Now, the Sabbath was created for us, not us for the Sabbath. So God knew that we need rest. He's the one who made us. He's the one who designed us. And he knew that, you know, for this thing to work well, this human being... This person needs rest. Now, it doesn't just say you as an individual or you as the head of the household or your children only. It says, in it you shall not do any work. You and your son or your daughter, your male or female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. One of the sad things is a lot of people go for these luxurious, luxurious holidays. They take time out. But the people who work for them, servants at home, helpers at home, uh, even children are literally treated like slaves. They don't have a break. It's important that we ensure that those who work for us are also having a break. Now, we obviously need to be careful of the other extreme. And this is why people sometimes avoid 
anything that is to do with pleasure. They misinterpret what the word of God says in the balance in scripture. So if you look at Proverbs 21 verse 17, the Bible says, whoever loves pleasure will become poor. So this is the person who takes uh, seven days off, you know, uh, or six days off, right? Uh, whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. There are certain people who just live for the weekend in that sense, okay? Or their weekend starts on Wednesday evening. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Now, here's the principle. If God himself rested, why do we think we don't need rest? Why do we frown upon recreational activities? And you might say, Paul, I don't know anyone who frowns upon recreational activities. No, a lot of people do. A lot of people have recreational activities, but they have to be forced by their spouse to do so. It's not something they do intentionally. It's not something where they step out and they say, I actually need this. They think they're Superman. No, you're not Superman. Okay. Now, if God himself rested, why do we think we don't need rest? Why do we think we don't need rest? If Jesus and his disciples rested, why do we think we don't have to? In Mark 6, 31 to 32, the Bible says, and he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. So part of resting, part of recreation is moving away from your work environment, moving away from that environment that might stress you. Okay, so it's being able to retreat somewhere. I know some people don't like that word, but it's about withdrawing to a secluded space. Now, some of you who are people, people, you like always being around people and you talk about how you're energized when you're around people. But the reality is there's a time for that. And there's also a time where you need to recharge by yourself, even if you're an extrovert. I'm a very, I'm, I'm a very high extrovert. Okay, so I'm energized as I interact with people, as I do certain activities, but I've learned I need to also take time out. I also get peopled out because the nature of my work, the nature of my ministry involves dealing with people all the time. So this is so important for everyone. Jesus needed it. So um, it says, for there were many people coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. How many of you feel like that? I often feel like that. For me, often there's no concept of a lunch break, okay, because of uh, what's on my schedule and what I need to do. It says, they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. And you'll see if you read further down, it wasn't even that easy because the crowds kept on following them. Do you feel crowded? Do you feel crowded by your family? Are you taking time out? Self-care is so, so important. Why am I emphasizing this? It's not just for children. You see, because the parents set the tone. The parents set the tone. Children who don't get to play, it's because of the family culture. You see, children don't want to always just play by themselves. They also want the parents involved in the playing. All right? And we have to get out of this mindset of uh, kids, go and play. We need to work. Because that's what adults do. They just work. No. Otherwise, you'll raise kids who don't have balance in their lives. Let me just say this. Um, Work-rest balance is a function of choice. If you look at the work that Jim Collins did, Good to Great, where he uh, looked at people who took companies from a place where they were good to a place where these organizations were great, it says 50% of them had work-rest balance. The other 50% didn't. So work-rest balance is a function of choice. It's up to you. You know, this thing of people saying, oh yeah, if you're leading an organization, there's no work-rest balance. No, 
Just because your boss was like that doesn't mean you have to be like that, okay? Their story doesn't have to be your story. So what's so powerful when I look in scripture is that God can actually lead you into times of rest, times of rest and refreshing. God can actually lead you into that. If you look at the book of Psalms 23, verses 2 to 3, it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, we like to spiritualize a lot of these things, okay? What a green pasture is a place of rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. So our souls need to be restored internally. But one of the things that recreation and rest does, it also restores us. Now, sometimes we over-spiritualize things, don't we? Right? This verse is not always symbolic. It's also very practical. And throughout scripture, you see that God actually values recreation. He made us recreational beings. And it's so important. In Zephaniah 3 verse 17, the Bible says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will, he will take great delight in you. So God takes delight in me. God takes delight in you. Okay, He's a joyful God. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. So does God sing? Yes, he does. Does he want us to sing? Yes. Doesn't matter if you've got a bad voice. We like music, don't we? He loves it when we sing, when we rejoice. Okay? So when there's no laughter in the home, it's a sign that something is not right. Simple as that. Okay? So what are the benefits of recreation for children? What are the benefits of recreation for children? You know that less computer game and screen time and more outdoor play is so key. Studies have shown this, as I said earlier on, that kids who spend more time outside might actually end up happier and more relaxed. Time outdoors can even improve short-term memory, concentration, and cognitive skills. Kids who spend time outdoors tend to do better in their classwork. Okay? They tend to do better academically. Sadly, a lot of children are reluctant to go outdoors, so we have to facilitate that. We have to create a culture of that. What's so nice for us, for my wife and I, is often we'll just say, okay, guys, no screen time, and we limit their screen time uh, on a particular day. Let's say it's uh, during the weekend, and what happens? They become creative. We hear them playing outside. We hear, whether it's soccer, basketball, uh, running around the house, electric scooters, whatever it is, and my wife and I will hear them laughing and we'll say to each other, I love these sounds. It's nice hearing this. You know, there's something peaceful about it. Uh, it gives us a sense of security. We kind of feel like, you know what, this is what children should be doing. And the sad thing is there's so many activities that people are required to do at schools nowadays. And um, the sad thing about that is they're not being kids anymore. Not being kids anymore. So... Indoor activities are also important, and these can range from family movies to quizzes. Uh, a lot of times boys learn well when there's a quiz or a type of competition. That's what I've experienced, and that's what I've seen from research, okay? Um, board games, right? In my household, it's dancing competitions and uh, rapping competitions. And I like those because, you know, I can just sit back and I'm the judge, 
you know, of those. And sometimes it's quite funny. I've grown out of certain games that my kids still want to play. You know, they're getting older, but they still want to play. Daddy, let's play Zulu Warrior. We haven't played that in a long time. Mom, can we play Tickle Monster? And I'm thinking, but Jaden, you're 12 years already. You know, that's, those are games for five-year-olds. But there's something about that interaction that these kids like, okay? That, there's something about that. And uh, we need to remember these things because as we connect with them in this particular way, it's amazing what ends up happening to them in terms of their emotional development. Now, I've said to you that work-rest balance is a function of choice, all right? And what are some practical things you can do? I've got a whole seminar on this, by the way, on work-rest balance, but I want to highlight to you certain things that we need to do to create that balance in our households. The first is create boundaries with your work. Create boundaries with your work. Even for your children, they need to know, okay, that's homework. I've been working. Now it's playtime. And yes, I need to work first and then I play, but have boundaries with your work, all right? And that's a question I want to ask you. Those of you who are parents here, do you have healthy boundaries with your work? As you reflect on your upbringing, did you see parents who had healthy boundaries with their work? You know, were they able to set limits? Are you able to set limits? Or do you always justify it as, I'm working hard for this family? Okay, what are the results? Do you have task and energy boundaries with your work? When we talk about task and energy boundaries, we're basically saying, you know what? This is what I can do. These are my limits. Right? It's time to go to bed now. Are you able to say no to your boss? Are you able to push back? You know, a lot of people will say, hey, Paul, I can't. Hey, Paul, that's career limiting. Is it really? Are you able to say, hey, you know what, guys? Please don't phone me after hours. That's family time. Right? Can you create your own space? A lot of people don't know how to create their own space, unfortunately, when it comes to uh, being able to do what they need to do. Sometimes you have to be able to create your own space to be able to actually say, you know what, I need time out, guys. I need to relax a little bit. So that's how you create your own space. Very important. Now, <clears throat> reflect on how this looks like practically in your life because you are responsible to mentor the people around you in how they should relate to you. You are responsible to push back. Otherwise, people will just keep overloading you with more and more work. Okay, what are the practical habits and rituals that help you to set boundaries? Just think about that. Because if you want strong boundaries, you need to have practical habits and practical rituals that you've actually put in place, right? That make it easier for you to say no. There's some people we just know, okay, date night for them is Wednesday night or Thursday night. And their bosses don't even bother them, right? Because they've told everyone, this is important for me. Okay, guys, it's a long weekend. My family and I, we're going away. So what are those rituals that you've created, right? They're practical things that you can do. For example, switching off your gadgets and only checking them at a certain time in the evening. So important. It's important to also switch off from work mode and then to switch into something else. I remember I was helping someone with their sleep because a lot of people struggle just when it comes to falling asleep. I was helping them with their sleep and... I remember saying to them, you know what, create a ritual for yourself that when you get home and you put on your home clothes, right, and, or maybe you start cooking, people have certain rituals that show them that I'm now at home, I'm no longer at work. And I say to this individual, when you do that, switch into home mode 
and have a vision for home mode because there's the psychology of thought suppression. So don't just say, I'm going to stop thinking about work, I'm going to stop thinking about work, I'm going to stop thinking about work. No, rather actually say, I'm going to start thinking about that dream house I want to build one day, that dream holiday I want to go to. So you have a vision for home life. Otherwise, you never switch off from work, right? Uh, and if you want to sleep better, ask yourself, what are my dominant thoughts before I go to bed at night? Right? And switch off from some of those thoughts. Sometimes you're worrying a lot. Okay, Switch off from those, but switch into something else. Because you can't just switch off. You have to displace your thoughts with something else. Okay, uh, Sometimes it's actually better to delay coming home and do something that helps you to unwind. Maybe go to the gym. Because then you'll be more, more, you'll be better company to be around when you do get home. Some people rush to get home, but while they're driving home, they don't know how to unwind. This is so important. You want to create a culture of rest, an atmosphere of rest around you. Okay. For some of you, it's cooking. For some of you, it's going to the gym. For some of you, it's just when you have that shower. Right, my mom, my wife. I said, Mom, okay, my wife is very good at this. Where sometimes I'll arrive home and she can see that I'm really tight, and she says, You know what, my love, why don't, why don't you just go upstairs, have a shower, and uh, just just to wind down a little bit, okay, and uh, then join us and we'll have dinner in the next 30 minutes, right? I appreciate that because then there isn't that guilt of like people haven't seen me and now there's pressure for me to be around them immediately, okay. Uh, so she understands me that way and I appreciate it. So my question is, do you have a vision for yourself outside of work? Do you have a vision for yourself outside of work? Do you have a vision for your family, for your kids, outside of them just going to school? You know, are they playing sport, for example? Are they doing recreational things? And by the way, playing sport isn't always fun and recreational. There's some people who take their sport too seriously, so it's always stressful for them. All right. So there's a difference between when you're pursuing a particular sporting activity and when you're actually doing it because it's a form of leisure. The next thing I want to uh, suggest to you as a tip in terms of work-rest balance is plan your leisure. Plan your leisure. In order to ensure that you have work-rest balance, it's important to plan your rest time and to respect the appointments that you make with yourself. You see, it's easy for me to... Uh, say to people, no, I can't meet with you. I've got a meeting with Tracy. I've got a meeting with Michael. It's easy to say that because I respect them, so I don't want to drop them, right? But uh, is it easy for me to say, sorry, I've got an appointment with myself. I just need some me time, okay? So uh, a lot of us are very good at keeping appointments with other people, but we're not good at keeping appointments with ourselves. We're very good at keeping work-related appointments and planning around that. To plan is to prepare the details in advance. But we're not very good at doing the same thing when it comes to ourselves and our leisure. So I want to encourage you, um, clearly define what work is and what rest is and what play is. It's important because there's a difference between work, rest, and play, right? When it comes to a holiday that you're planning, ask yourself, is this a holiday for me and my wife or is it a holiday for the kids? And it's important to have both, to have holidays for you as grown-ups because there's certain interests you have and then to have a holiday for you and your spouse, right? Um, there's something we were planning recently and my wife and I were comfortable going to a particular place until the kids started saying like, well, but we also want to do things that will be fun for us. 
What will be fun? What will we actually do, mom? <laughs> okay, that's what they were asking when their mom was planning this particular holiday. We just need to be clear up front. I've said to my wife in the past, you know what? This holiday we're planning, this is really for the kids. And it, it helps me to manage expectations. Otherwise, you get annoyed when you're now on holiday and you just think to yourself, I can't even read a book. I can't even relax. Right? Um, the reality is some people say uh, that sometimes when you're on holiday, you're just watching your kids in a different location. You know what I'm talking about? If you're by the beach somewhere and you're stressed out, where's this child? Where's that child? All right? Um, so do things that are actually restful for you for yourself as an individual, and also for your family. If these things are not clearly defined, uh, you will be like me, where you end up uh, not really enjoying it that much, okay? Because you feel like you are working a lot, all right? Even when it comes to uh, some of the sports we pursue, sometimes you can take it so seriously, it's no longer enjoyable. Now, make sure rest is really rest, you know? Make sure rest is really rest. Sometimes you go to certain places and you literally end up in a situation, ladies in particular, where you're cooking all the time, where you're cleaning up after people all the time. All right. So uh, think of an alternative where you're actually more relaxed. And then I want to just highlight this. Identify your type of work-rest balance. Your type of work-rest balance. You see, sometimes there's a daily top-up, and I believe in this wholeheartedly. There are little things you can do each day just to take time out. If you like off-road biking, for example, you know that each time I have uh, that cup of tea in my tea break, I'm also uh, having a look at that magazine. I think it's called Dirt, and I think you used to be able to purchase it in Sassel garages, okay? And you just look through it, and you're having a little top-up. You know that if I phone this individual, I can have a quick laugh, so that you're not so run down by the end of the day. And that's why kids have break time. Break time is not just to eat something. Break time is also to be able to play so that they take a break from their work, and then they go back and they carry on working. Do you have a weekly top-up, even as a family? Something you're doing once a week where you just feel like, this is my time. You know, I'm watching that soccer match. I'm playing soccer with the boys. I'm doing a particular thing that's my weekly top-up. Top Let me say something. Leisure isn't always inactive. Some people think it's just, I'm just sitting and I'm just vegging, okay? That's one aspect of it. But sometimes it also involves just going and sweating it out somewhere out there and you find yourself more mentally alert. Nowadays, when we talk about work-rest balance, we're actually talking about things we need to do also in terms of helping us just to be mentally sharp, okay? So it's taking time out for that. Then you have a monthly top-up, then you have an annual top-up. And I want to encourage you, don't just do the annual thing. Some people live for that annual holiday. They go away for two weeks or two and a half weeks. But when they get back, they feel they need a holiday from the holiday. Why? What is going on there? When you go on holiday, very often you're at minus 10 in terms of your tank, okay, your energy tank. And by the time you get back from holiday, you're back to zero. So you still need a holiday to fill yourself up so that you get to 100, okay? So <clears throat> there are pros and cons to each of these. But I encourage you, try to do them intentionally, where during the course of the day, you have things that top you up, things that fill your tank, where you've got a weekly top up, you've got a monthly top up, you've got an annual top up. And I think that's really useful for many of us. If you don't plan it, then you're planning to fail in this area of work-rest balance. Okay. Um, <clears throat> try not to go on holiday when you're in the minus. Okay. Try and be topping yourself up 
continuously. I want to encourage you to, um, to do that. All right. Um, just remember that kids will get their cues. They take their cues from you. So it's so important that you're always filling your tank because you create a culture of laughter, of joy in the home. Okay. Some people are busy for three months of the year in a very extreme way. And then the other nine months, they're more relaxed. Okay. Some people work late hours during the week. And then on the weekend, it's their family time. Um, that's okay. But just think through it and say to yourself, I don't want my kids only connecting with me once a week. I don't want my kids only connecting with me once a term. Okay. And then I'm trying to make up for it that annual holiday. I want to make sure that I'm consistent in how I do what I do. Amen. So, so that's the first one I wanted to cover today. And it's really our eighth point in this, um, uh, this mini-series, which is part of the broader identity series that we're doing. What every ch child needs. They need recreation. They need to be playing with their parents. They need to be, boys need to be wrestling a bit with dad. It's healthy for their development. The ninth one I want to look at is age appropriateness. Age appropriateness. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, I grew up too quickly. And sadly, they see it as a positive. And they don't realize that there was actually an element of emotional abuse in that. It's so important to actually understand uh, that children have different developmental stages. And it's, it's, it's so important to do what's age appropriate for a particular child. Do you know when a child should be protected from certain things? And then do you know when a child should be prepared for certain things? When should you have specific conversations with your kids? Are you treating your, your seven-year-old in exactly the same way that your 15-year-old should be treated? Uh, I had a situation quite recently where I realized that, wait a minute, uh, my one child who was younger than the others was going to bed at the same time or a similar time as some of the others. And I was like, no, you actually need more sleep, okay? We can't have the same rules for you as we have for your older brothers, okay? That's just an example. We need to be conscious of what's age-appropriate for our children, okay? What are we exposing them to at certain ages? And what I've seen is a lot of kids who've got older siblings tend to end up doing things where developmentally they're not ready for that, but they get exposed to certain things because of their older siblings. I've been in situations where uh, one of my kids will come home and will say, um, oh, dad, tell me, what's this? And I'll say, oh, where did you hear about that from? And he'll say, I heard from my friend so-and-so. I said, who told him? Oh, his older sister. Okay, so we need to watch out for these things. And parents, it's important that you're actually monitoring the conversations happening. If you've got a number of kids in your household, you know, what is your 18-year-old talking about uh, with your 10-year-old, for example? All right, it's important and it's important to coach your older kids with regards to what's confidential at this age and what should they feel free to talk about with their siblings, right? Uh, that's very important. So we live in a society that is growing in humanistic ideas, okay, with regards to children's rights. So a lot of people are saying this is the right of the child. And it's become so strong to the point of superseding the authority and the rights of the parents. And as a result of this, a lot of Christians react when you talk about children's rights. All right. But there's a place for children's rights. And if you look in scripture, there are a whole lot of scriptures that really speak to uh, protecting the human rights of the vulnerable and specifically widows and orphans. 
right? And that's where we can get a lot of understanding with regards to God's view when it comes to age appropriateness, when it comes to uh, potential abuse of children, okay? Um, <clears throat> so let's examine this in scripture. How does God preserve the dignity of the vulnerable? Because we see that embedded in the law, embedded in the law, there were actually measures that protected children. So I want to unpack some of these. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 through to 18, it says, For the Lord your God, right, is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Isn't that powerful? He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. So God is very conscious of this. He's very conscious of um, the vulnerable, particularly children. In Exodus chapter 22, uh, verses 22 to 23, the Bible says, Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. All right? Uh, so very often people will take advantage of children. A child labor is a classic example of that. And uh, many of you growing up, uh, you would find yourself, especially in rural areas, you know, where kids would uh, go to school all day. As soon as they get home, they're already working. And after some time, you start to realize, wait a minute, this child isn't actually having enough play. Now, I know that many people growing up uh, would actually play you know, out in the fields and so on. And many of you look at yourselves and you're like, but look, we're fine, you know, we're great, you know, we were hardworking. But I can tell you right now, if I was to have a session with you, I'll, I'll show you the gaps and the cracks because I'll start asking you questions around emotional connection, right? I'll start asking questions around isolation. I'll, I'll ask you questions around emotional self-awareness. And you start realizing that, you know what? Sometimes I do take myself too seriously. Sometimes I do start feeling depressed. Okay, It's important to explore these things. And a lot of times, growing up on the African continent, people don't want to say anything because they're like, but that's, that's what we needed to do to survive. That's what life was like. There's certain things that are good for children, and it's good to teach children how to work. But at a certain point, we need to understand the limits because of their age, especially when it comes to the physical exertion around certain things, okay? Developmental stages need to be respected. Children can behave like children. That's why the Bible says, when I was a child, I did things in a, in a childlike way, right? Or a childish way. But when I grew up and became a man, I had to do things like an adult. In many families, irresponsible parents force their children to grow up too quickly. And when children have to look after themselves and their siblings, emotional development is hindered. And those children can experience drastic consequences. Okay. Um, <clears throat> There's, a, there's a, a very powerful thing I want to share with you. Uh, Sioban uh, Frigard, um, who's a co-founder of a particular parenting website, said that girls are made to worry about their appearance and weight issues, whilst boys are pushed into being tough and macho behavior, right, at too young an age. People are saying nowadays that once, once kids reach 12, it's almost like childhood ends, you know? And all of a sudden, there are now these grown men, grown women who have to do all sorts of things. So the pace of modern life 
and also what's happening in terms of pressure from marketing. It's a toxic combo of marketing, media, and peer pressure is causing our children to have to grow up too quickly, right? Children no longer want to be seen as children, even though we as parents, uh, we still know that these are kids, all right? So it's important to actually explore that. Am I doing things that are age appropriate for my kids? Okay, there needs to be a radical rethink in society to revalue childhood and to protect it as a precious time. To protect it as a precious time. Not time to put pressure on children to grow up too fast. You know, we want to fast track, track their growth. You know, oh, my child is four going on 20. That's a good thing. Look how mature this child is. Okay, but when they grow up into adults, you start seeing that, wait a minute, this child didn't have, have a childhood. Okay, this grown up didn't have a childhood. There's something missing here. Now, what's the impact of growing up too fast? The most common general effects of it is this, of growing up too fast, it, um, is poor self-care. People end up not looking after themselves because they're so used to being a caretaker for other people, especially if you've grown up in a codependent environment where maybe your father was an alcoholic and you had to dress him up, you know, you had to cover for him. You see people who become adults where they're codependent and how they relate to people. They're always wanting to keep up appearances. They feel bad when they talk about their weaknesses. They don't know how to receive from other people because they were the ones who, was, who, were, who were counseling mom because mom was weak. Mom couldn't cope, right? And looking after dad. So these people grow up into adults who are always placating other people's behavior, right? Um, you know, no, it's fine. It's, it happens to everyone. I'll just rescue you. And they're trying to rescue everyone. If you are like that, you need healing. You need restoration. You need deliverance because it's not natural. It's not natural. You've embraced it as part of your identity, right? But it's a pseudo identity that has formed. So you find these people trying to take care of everyone else. You find them harming themselves, self-harm, workaholism. They don't know when to stop. They're people pleasers. pleasers. Often they have self-esteem issues. They're constantly trying to uh, do more than they're capable of, right? Physically. Right? They've got standards for themselves that are too high and completely unrealistic. They feel toxic guilt and a false sense of responsibility. They blame themselves for everything. Right? They've got chronic stress and anxiety. Lack of closeness in relationships very often. Right? Some of them, they get into relationships where they're now the rescuer. And this person is dependent on them. And you're like, why are you always getting into these emotionally abusive relationships? Well, that's become part of their identity. They're a caretaker. And that's what caretakers do. So um, if you're in that situation, again, watch out for these kinds of things. Because what ends up happening is you end up unconsciously seeking abusive or otherwise toxic social environments. You see this happening with a number of people. Okay, someone described it in this way. What is frequently called growing up too fast or being mature beyond your years is simply neglect and abuse. And this is often a euphemism because we are talking about a type of childhood trauma that people experience. Now, uh, parents attribute unfair responsibility and unrealistic standards onto their children. And as a result, there's age-inappropriate activity happening 
at home, okay? This is where parents attribute unfair responsibility and unrealistic standards onto their children. And consequently, the child is expected, for example, to perform a task without anybody actually teaching them how to do it, and then they're punished for it if they fail. I don't know if any of you grew up in those environments. What also happens in, in these types of dysfunctional families is that there's role reversal. Now, role reversal is part of the outworking of growing up too fast. It means that the caregiver assigns their role onto the child and therefore the child is seen as somebody who has to take care of the kid, caregiver and possibly taking care of other people also. What's the outcome of this? Believing that you always have to be strong. Believing that you always have to be strong. I've coached lots of people who always have to be the strong one. Okay, Paul, this is difficult for me talking about my weaknesses, right? Um, secondly, you end up seeing vulnerability and the admission of the gaps in your life and the weaknesses in your life as a weakness. As a weakness, right? Uh, thirdly, you end up placating and feeling empathy for the people who've hurt you. And the people uh, who've hurt you before you take care of yourself, just in terms of general uh, self-care. And fourth, you end up being independent instead of interdependent. This is so important. Okay. Um, another common example of age inappropriateness is child labor. And I've alluded to this. And if you look at... Uh, some of the labor rights movements that are there in the world right now. Uh, I just want to quote them. Children who labor intensely are often smaller, physically smaller, than those who are allowed to play and grow naturally. All right? They are also at a higher risk for illnesses, such as respiratory illnesses, because of what they're being exposed to. And they're exposed to harmful chemicals that can also affect their physical development. So what are we exposing our children to today? We need to give children chores. They end up being uh, better managers later on in terms of self-management and stewardship in life. But we need to give them chores that are age appropriate. That's so crucial. Okay. So age appropriateness as a value will actually determine when you when you focus on preparation for kids and when you focus on protecting them from certain things. We must protect the moral innocence of our children. I want to encourage you to discuss some of these things uh, as a family. Explore them as a family. It's so important. Talk to your children about it. We don't want our kids to be lazy, but at the same time, we also don't want to abuse them emotionally. And then the tenth and final one I want to look at is spirituality. Spirituality. Um, when you look in scripture, in Mark chapter 10, um, verses 13 through to 16, just look at how Jesus embraces children and doesn't shun children as being unspiritual uh, or, hey, you kids, you cannot come close to me. It says people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. So the disciples didn't share the same worldview around kids as Jesus did, because they were like, hey, no, 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 you parents, don't, don't bring your kids here. You know, this is a grown-up thing. And many times we do this. There's no baby Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is available for our children. So it says, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive, 
Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, so he was physically affectionate, placed his hands on them and blessed them. And what is he doing? He's basically saying the kingdom is for you too, right? That's to do with inclusion. I want to encourage you, let your children see you pray. If you're radical in intercession, let them see you pray. This thing of our kids only hearing us playing, praying uh, baby type of prayers, small, short, little prayers and so on, because we're thinking, oh, but these are kids, these are kids. That's not great. Their capacity and the capacity of their human spirit is very big. If you look at the ministry of Jesus, when he called the disciples, the disciples were not... Um, these were generally not old people, right? It, it seems to me when you look um, at the disciples, it was possibly only Peter who was married because we know he had a mother-in-law. But uh, most of the disciples were youngsters, youngsters, right? Um, and I believe that's one of the reasons why John, who wasn't martyred, um, would have lived very long, you know, after, uh, after the others. Because I believe that when Jesus called him, he was really young. These guys were probably, uh, most of them were probably teenagers when Jesus called them. So uh, you are allowed to develop your relationship with God without being ridiculed or shamed. I remember when I was growing up, um, I got born again at the age of 12. was already quite religious before that. Uh, but truly born again at the age of 12 became extremely radical by God's grace. Okay, by the age of 14, I was writing out Bible studies. My mom would actually type them out and photocopy them and literally start distributing them. I didn't know I'd end up writing so many books later on in life. Okay, but that's what I started doing at age of 14. Age of 12, I was reaching the lost. We would do Bible studies out in the Bundu. I was at a boarding school and uh, we would go out and we would play. It was quite recreational. Um, but we were literally getting people saved at that age. So uh, I've got quite a high standard in my mind with regards to what young kids can do spiritually. Okay. Um, during rest time, after we would eat our lunch, I would go and I would just be devouring the word, devouring the word. And the Lord would literally be giving me so much revelation as a young 12 year old boy. So when people are like, no, the kids mustn't come to prayer meetings because it'll be too long for them. Oh, the concentration span of little kids, just be careful and so on. I'm saying to myself, you know, I remember what I was like and I'm saying, you know, kids have a capacity to receive from heaven. Let them receive from heaven. Yes, of course, we must do things in an age-appropriate way and so on. Yes, we must understand what age they are, but don't limit what the Holy Spirit can do. My prayer for my kids, continuously I pray this prayer, Holy Spirit, grab a hold of them. Give them a personal revelation of Jesus. Let them be radical for you from a young age. Um, and when you start looking down at these things and frowning upon them and so on, um, excuse me, you can actually stunt their growth spiritually. I remember my older brother would, was saying to me quite recently, hey Nyams, uh, remember when we were at, at school, 
how I'll tell you to just tone down a bit, you know, just tone down your Christianity a bit. Don't be too radical. Yes, love the Lord, but don't be too radical, you know. You need to be seen as a main own, you know what I'm saying? And, and uh, David, my older brother, was just confessing to me, saying, just imagine if you had listened to me, what would have happened, Yams? Just imagine if you had taken my advice, okay? Because at boys' boarding schools, there was that pressure, you know, to be quite hardcore and, and so on. Uh, but it's important that we are radical from a very young age. It's so crucial. And what's nice about youngsters is uh, they end up having just amazing faith, you know? It's like, well, why don't we pray for that person? Sometimes my kids will challenge us, you know, we'll say, yeah, that person is from this religion and we'll be trying to explain it philosophically. And they're like, well, mom, why didn't you speak to them about the Lord? You know, why didn't you tell them about this then? You know, and we're challenged by them. And it's so important for us to create a culture where children can develop their spirituality. It's something for everyone. It's not just for grown-ups, okay? Um, so this is the development of your identity as a spiritual person. And many people today have been stunted in their spiritual growth simply because they were mocked about it in their former years. I remember my extended family would tease me and say, am I this priest? Or, hey, he's a priest actually, you know, type of thing. And they found it fascinating because I was so radical and I'd preach to my uncles and I'd preach to everyone, right, as a young boy. And uh, I thank God that he kept me, that it didn't impact me negatively. Maybe it made me even more radical. I would rebuke my uncles about this and I'll tell them the word of God says that and so on. But many people would have thought to themselves, oh, maybe I should hold back. I know people today where they grew up in an environment where if you're a radical Christian, you're called a happy clapper and so on. And today they sometimes have that reticence with certain groups of people in terms of preaching to them because they might mock me. Oh, let me just hold back a bit. All right. Now, um, there's no baby Holy Spirit and there's far too much at stake for you not to walk out your purpose at a young age. There's far too much at stake. There's certain things that you can do as a young person that you can't do when you're older. Okay. There's certain things you can do when you're single that you can't do when you're married, just in terms of moving around and doing various things. Okay. So don't believe the lie that you can waste away your youth. Young people are listening to me now. Don't believe the lie that you can waste away your youth and then you only get into your purpose when you're older, you know, and you're now settling down. No, don't be deceived. Get into your purpose now, today. Some of the greatest churches and the greatest organizations today are led by young people. They were started by young people. And you know that the counterfeit um, does this, okay? If you look at communism day and how it was birthed, you know what Lenin said? Lenin said, give me four years to teach the children and the seed I have sown will never be uprooted. That's what Lenin said, right? 90% uh, of all professing Christians come to Christ before they reach 30. 75% before, before the age of 25. Hence, the youth culture represents the largest mission field. Largest mission field. I remember at the start of this year, the Lord actually said to me, do not despise the youth. Do not despise the youth. And as Go Christian Church, I want to encourage you, those of you who are young people uh, out there, and I know young is relative, but I want to encourage you, get deep into God. Join us for prayer meetings. Get the data you need. Devour all these messages that we are preaching. You know, when I was... Uh, 18 years of age, 17, 18. I remember I won some prizes and I think with one of the prizes that I won at school, uh, you know, when you, you're given those vouchers and you can go and get books, 
one of the books I got, I still remember it distinctly, was by a, it's a book by Ken Canfield called Seven Secrets of Effective Fathering. I got that as an 18-year-old. As an 18-year-old, I wanted to learn about how to be an effective father, okay? What I'm, what I'm really excited about in terms of the series we're teaching right now is when young people start to have a vision for the families that they want to have one day. When we talk after these messages with my kids, I hear them saying things like, well, I want to do this. This is the kind of dad I want to be. I want to do this for my kids and I want to make sure they have this. It's important to start talking about these things at a young age. We need to have a vision, not just for our careers. We need to have a vision from a young age of what type of husband do I want to be? What type of family do I want to have one day? This is so crucial. We need to reach young people. Most of the world is relatively young. Six out of 10 people on the planet are under 25. And this percentage is increasing every day. And of this, of this number, nearly half are in the equivalent of middle school. All right, Middle school uh, to college age group, you know, middle school to college age group. <laughs> that's, that's phenomenal. We need to reach out to young people. Now, let me just show you as I conclude, what have young people done in history? William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, he started preaching in the slums of London at the age of 15. What, are you, what is your plan? Those of you who are almost 15, what is your plan with regards to preaching the gospel? Okay, Charles Spurgeon, arguably the greatest preacher of the 19th century, started ministering at 19. Okay, he attracted such a large crowd, right? Such large crowds that before the age of 30, he had built what was packing out the 5,000 seat metropolitan tab tabernacle in London. Okay, these are places that still exist today. Jonathan Edwards, he entered Yale in 1716 at the age of 13. And by the age of 21 was pastoring one of the most influential churches in the American colonies. Who's 21 today? Okay, Jonathan Edwards was doing that. His famous sermon, Sinners in the, in the Hands of an Angry God. You know, just look it up if you want to look up a powerful sermon. Okay, it helped spark the Great Awakening that brought tens of thousands to Christ. But he preached that as a young man. Amy Carmichael, ladies, right? She was 28 when she left as a missionary to Donovan in India, right? And she served for 56 years without furlough in one of the most dangerous areas of the world. Louis Braille, in 1824, he was 15 years old when he developed uh, that's that system of uh, reading and writing by means of raised dots. Okay, today in virtually every language throughout the world, Braille. Okay, uh, you know which blind people use, right? Um, Braille is the standard form of writing and reading used by blind people, by non-sighted people. Okay, and at a young age, as a teenager, he developed this. Okay, John Wesley, we all know John Wesley, the founder of uh, the Methodist movement, right? He was 26 when he started the Holy Club at Oxford, sparking a revival on the campus that later spread through England and the United States. Powerful things that young people did at a very young age. I want to encourage you, let's embrace these principles in our family lives. Okay, the principle of work-rest balance, recreation. Let's create a culture of rest around us. Let's create a culture where everything we do is age appropriate, where we are really aware of the age that children are and we are conscious of their developmental stages 
of our children. And then, like I said, finally, let's encourage the spirituality of the young people in our lives. If we missed out on these, we'll have uh, gaps, cracks, and leakages in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we commit ourselves to you, and we ask that you help us by your spirit to really create families that are truly functional. Help us, Father, as we pray into this, as we talk about these things, that we would have a blueprint of uh, the godly families that we want to build. We embrace this now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You see, when we talk about family life so much, it's because this is part of our mission as a church, building strong families. This is so crucial. We don't want to be these so-called pseudo-spiritual people, but we don't know how to do family life. I want to encourage you to keep embracing these teachings, keep attending our prayer meetings, and let's keep praying and let's become stronger. Um, <clears throat> One of the things I want to highlight is that we've also put up on our website a link to a series on the end of the world by a dear friend of ours, Gareth Lowe. Some of you were exposed to his uh, great teaching he did for us um, on the teaching platform uh, that my wife uh, runs and um, just to do with prayer and warfare. Some of you remember from that. So we've put a link up onto the website and you can go there for that particular series. Uh, he's been doing it uh, through the month of August and September. And there are about seven different sermons on the end of the world. I was going to teach on the particular subject, but we hold the same views concerning these things and is very comprehensive and very thorough. And so those of you who've wanted to know what our stance is, because there's a lot of flaky stuff out there, and I really believe this is a balanced view of eschatology, how things will end. Uh, so you can also tap into that uh, particular series. Uh, praise God. We love you so much. Let's keep learning. Let's keep growing. Keep looking on the website and we'll keep making key announcements um, in terms of some of the changes that are coming up and some of the things that we are going to be doing as a ministry. God bless you.